Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. From SpyMovieNavigator.com. And you know we love Alfred Hitchcock's spy movies and will continue doing episodes on them. And today, we have a very special guest with us, Hitchcock author and aficionado, Tony Lee Morrell. Tony's written three books on Hitchcock and his movies and has an upcoming book on Alfred Hitchcock's movies, Alfred Hitchcock to Storyboards. So welcome Tony Lee Morrell to our Smartest Spy in the Room segment. Hello, it's great to be with Spy Movie Navigator. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here. Absolutely. Today we want to focus on Hitchcock's spy movie, Notorious. On our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, we'll be creating an episode on Notorious in the next couple of weeks. So we're excited to get some info from you, Tony, on Notorious. Tell us about yourself and how you became so involved in Hitchcock. Well, Hitchcock has been a huge part of my life ever since I was a child. I think I saw my first Hitchcock movie at the age of 10 years old. It was I Confess. And just the characterization and the moral ambiguity and the psychology and his use of camera logic really made me a huge fan of Hitchcock. And so he's just been part of my life for the last 40 years now. And and so he informs my life as both a filmmaker and a storyteller. That's terrific. And now you've written the books. Obviously, you're familiar with Hitchcock's movie catalog. Where does Notorious rank in your opinion? Um, Notorious is definitely right at the top, in my opinion. It's my favorite of his Hollywood black and white period. I I think um, of all the films with Ingrid Bergman, he made three. Um, This is the second one. After Spellbound, I think it's far the best. Um, And he very cleverly uses Ingrid Bergman, who he adored, as well as Cary Grant. I I really think the two shine luminously. And you've just got a cracking 1946 thriller with Hitchcock, Bergman, and Cary Grant all at the peak of their powers. Yeah, that's terrific. We love Notorious as well. Of course, we focus on the spy movies, and so we've done some things Obviously, on the Hitchcock spy movies, The 39 Steps, Secret Agent, North by Northwest, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and so on. So this is going to be exciting to talk about Notorious with you. So one one of the questions that I have about this movie is you talked about these stars that are in this. Can you talk a little bit about how Hitchcock interacted with these people? Especially, I'm thinking about Ingrid Bergman, because you've written two books, uh, one on Marnie and one on The Birds. And those had Tippi Hendren in it, and she didn't exactly have the best relationship and interaction with Hitch. So can you kind of talk about how he was with Ingrid Bergman? Yeah. He absolutely adored Ingrid Bergman. He loved her. Many of the screenwriters I interviewed, such as uh, Jay Preston Allen, she said that Hitch adored Bergman. She actually thought Bergman would have been a good Marnie because – Bergman showed a lot of vulnerability in her performances. I mean, I first saw Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca, and I fell in love with her as most of, you know, young, impressionable boys did. She was just so luminously beautiful. And Hitchcock obviously was in love with her beauty. Um, She was beautiful inside as well as out. She was just a lovely woman. And she personified the kind of Swedish blonde, the cool blonde with passions and fire beneath her ice. But it's very interesting the way Hitchcock uses Bergman, which is typical Hitchcock. He plays her against type 
because when you first see her in Notorious, she's very much presented as a loose woman. She's an alcoholic. She's she's a basically the title of the film. She she embodies being notorious. Yes. And so Hitchcock was very clever at doing that with his actors and actresses, going against type. And he did the same with Cary Grant during this period. Because if you remember Cary Grant in the 1940s was very famous for screwball comedies. He was very much for dandy. Mm-hmm. And he started to play against type with um, Grant in films like Suspicion against Joan Fontaine, where he's seen as a cad and very much a, a possible villain. And he, he does the same with the character of Cary Grant in Notorious, who plays Devlin. Devlin is very cold and emotionally detached and actually manipulates Bergman yeah. into actually marrying the man, uh, the Nazi spy, Claude Rains. Yes. So very, very clever use of the two stars going against type in this fantastic movie. Yeah, yeah and I, I like that you're talking about him going against type because when I first saw this, I'm like, that's Cary Grant. That doesn't, that doesn't feel like him because yeah, yeah. like he's... He's so cold in it yeah. compared to the warm personality you usually see out of him. Yeah, the same with Ingrid. Now, what about Claude Rains? I, I love Claude Rains. Casablanca is one of my all-time favorite movies. Of course, they were terrific in that, and, and now they're back together here, Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains in this movie. How did Claude Rains fit in here? Because, again, one of my favorites. I, I, I adore Claude Rains in Notorious. It's such clever casting by Hitchcock. Again, it's that moral ambiguity, even though he's a villain, we have so much sympathy for him, yes. especially about end scene. He's tricked into marrying Bergman. I think he truly loved Ingrid Bergman's yes. character, Alicia, um, even maybe even more than Devlin did, or he showed a lot more emotional compassion. Yeah, and you feel sympathy that he's actually deceived by her and tricked by her. And that was Hitchcock was so clever at showing that moral ambiguity and like playing with the audience's emotions so that you have sympathy for the villain. The, the other classic example is the Anthony Bates character in Psycho, even though he's a psychopath. The audience, um, the way he's presented by Hitchcock and Anthony Perkins, we, we feel very sorry for him. And similarly with Claude Rains, especially at the end, the fact that he's manipulated by not only his wife, but his mother and Devlin. And you'll notice that his actually, Claude Rains is actually a lot shorter than Bergman in stature. So um, it's a sense that he is very much a victim of of the three in in the triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found it interesting when you you talk there about the... um, the having sympathy or liking the the person who's the villain or one of the villains. And in the James Bond movie, the man with the golden gun, we have Scaramanga who's another one of those villains that you don't really hate. You know, a lot of times you hate the villain, but yeah. Like you say, you have sympathy for him here. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of thing too. Like uh, even the license to kill uh, with, with uh, Robert Davi playing Sanchez. I mean, he's such a charming character but he's a villain and he's vicious but you have that feeling towards it so that's yeah. that's pretty cool so thanks that that's a actually, great insight into those characters and how yeah. hitch and actually let me add one more thing with the, the character thing yeah. i want to go back to ingrid bergman for a second and huh. tippy hendren so tippy had all the problems with hitch were there any of those shenanigans that went on here with ingrid that you know of or was it pretty played pretty straight with those two 
From my, from my knowledge with, with the screenwriters, remember, um, I was mainly focusing on the late 50s mm-hmm. and the early 60s, because unfortunately, Ben Heck, the screenwriter of Notorious, had passed away when I was doing my research. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand from the biographies, uh, it's very obvious from a 1979 Lifetime Achievement Award, if you've seen it, you can actually watch it on YouTube. And it's a lovely moment when Cary Grant, Hitchcock, and Bergman are all up together on stage and they famously give give a key. Um, Ingrid Bergman gives a key from Notorious back to Hitchcock. Oh, as a the symbol. Unica key, the Unica key. Yes, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so they obviously have such mutual love and respect for each other and they remain friends very closely until the rest of their lives. That's nice to know. Great. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that is a little bit different relationship than he had with Tippy, though. That's good. Yeah. So now we know Hitchcock created the concept called what he called the MacGuffin. And so I assume some of our listeners will know what that is and some might not. So can you talk about what a MacGuffin is and how Hitchcock uses them, especially in here in, in Notorious? The MacGuffin is the engine that drives the plot. And it can often be very nonsensical or not important to the audience. There's a famous story, he says, of uh, apparatus for capturing lions in the Scottish Highlands. And that doesn't make any sense because there are no um, lions in the Scottish Highlands. (laughs) And then Hitchcock said, well, that's uh, not really a MacGuffin. So the MacGuffin is something that the spies care about, but the audience doesn't care about at all. And if you look at North by Northwest, the MacGuffin is the, the statue with the microfilm, which contains important secrets that both the spies and the government want. Um, in Psycho, the MacGuffin is the $40,000 of cash, which is stolen, but then uselessly discarded when Norman Bates throws it in the back of a trunk because he doesn't even know it's there, but it's the engine which drives the first beginning of Psycho. And of course, in Notorious for MacGuffin is a uranium iron ore, which is hidden in the wine bottles in a fantastic sequence at the party, which Bergman and Grant discover. And when Bergman goes to the house for the very first time, Claude Rain's house and has party with all the Nazis, she actually spots the bottle which Emil makes such a fuss about so she knows something is up. So that, that's MacGuffin. And there's a very famous story behind that because Ben Hecht and Hitchcock were looking for a MacGuffin for Notorious. And of course, this was during the Second World War, 1945. The atomic bomb was very much in the news and they were looking at uranium ore. So they went to Caltech University to do some investigation. And Hitchcock famously tells the story that they were poking around so much that they were actually followed or investigated by the government for a f- few periods during the writing of Notorious because they thought that they might have some insider information that <laughs> they weren't aware of. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because they, they wrote that before the, the bombs got dropped, right? So this was Yes, yeah. I, I, be- I believe so, yes. Well, it came out the year after the war ended, I think, and I think they were filming starting a couple of months after they started filming, right? After yeah. the war ended, but uh, yeah, but, the, but, but the I would mon- think that the MacGuffin would have been been in place by the time they yeah. they no, got yeah. to that point. And the mindset of anything nuclear at that point was on everybody's mind, obviously after World yeah. War II 
ended. So that's pretty cool. Now, we talked about the domineering mother a little bit. You, you mentioned her. Hitchcock has, <laughs> it seems like he's got a thing for domineering mothers, right? Psycho, North by Northwest, and now here in Notorious, they come to mind. Can, can you tell us what, what Hitchcock had in mind here? Because, wow, in, in this one, the mother played by Leopoldine Constantine. Yes, terrific. an Austrian, a fabulous Austrian actress who Hitchcock knew. And again, Joseph Stefano told me that his mother, Emma, um, I asked him, why are so many of Hitchcock's heroines have a letter M? And he said, well, it could be possibly after his mother named Emma Hitchcock. Huh? So, for example, you have Marilyn, Marnie, Melanie. Um, <laughs> And you recall that scene in Notorious when Claude Rains discovered that he's been deceived by Ingrid Bergman. He goes to the foot of the bed of a mother and wakes her up. And she says, you know, Alex, what's wrong? And he begins to tell her that he's married a a Nazi, um, a a spy um, who was after the Nazis from intelligence agents. And that's kind of modeled after Hitchcock's own biography. He's, he recounts that as a child, he would go to the foot of a, his mother's bed and he would tell her what he would had done at school that day. That's famously in the biographies. Oh. And so th- these, these domineering mothers from Psycho, Marnie, um, Frenzy, the, um, the, the psychopath, uh, Bob Rusk has a domineering um, mother. It again, harks back to Hitchcock's own relationship um, his mother was an incredible influence in his life. And so that sense of how Leopold and Constantine influence the Alex um, Sebastian character, she's called Madame Sebastian, I think is very important. Um, when you look at the Hitchcock canon about the importance of mothers, especially on the male figures. Yes, yeah, and she was terrific. I mean, she yes, played she that was. well. And I think this was her only American movie, I think. So in the movie, towards the end, when Alicia's sick and Dr. Anderson's in the room, he talks about bringing her to the Amaris Mountains, which is in Brazil, so it would be fitting because they were in Brazil. Yeah. Um, and she asks, are you going to Leopoldina, <laughs> which is a town near the, the, the that mountain range. Now, First, I haven't found that there's any uranium in the (laughs) mountains, but that's a different issue. But do you think or do you know, was that really a call call out to Leopoldine Constantine when they said, are you going to Leopoldina, which was uh, the town? I mean, did they pick that town because of the woman playing the mother? I I wouldn't be surprised. It could be an in-joke. I'll have to investigate that. But maybe it was an in-jake of Ben Heck, the screenwriter, and Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah, because when, when, when Dan and I were talking about the mother, he's like, it was played by Leopoldine. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> this town is Leopoldine, as she says. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it either that there's some kind of connection there now. Yeah. All right. Hey, you're, you're coming out with a book on Alfred Hitchcock's storyboards, right? And we want to talk about the storyboards in Notoria. So tell us a little bit about the book. Sure, I've been working on the book on Hitchcock storyboards for the past year. It's published on September the 6th. You can pre-order it. In the UK, it's, it's published by Titan Books. And in the US, it's Random House. Okay. And it's really a coffee table book looking at his best works, um, right from the 39 Steps to Torn Curtain. Um, I've chosen 
10 of his big films. We, we include storyboards from Notorious in the introduction. And it really examines Hitchcock's visual art and how he was very collaborative with his uh, storyboard artists. So we feature many storyboard artists and art directors, many of which don't get the recognition they deserve. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a very female, famous female storyboard uh, production illustrator named Dorothea Holt, who was the uh, illustrator for Gone with the Wind, Rebecca and Shadow of a Doubt. All, all the way up to Robert Boyle, very famous production designer for The Birds, Marnie and North by Northwest, amongst others. So I, I've just had a lovely time doing it and um, assembling and talking to the families of those who are still uh, uh, of those storyboard artists. And amazingly, a couple of them are still alive. There's uh-huh. Tom Wright, who did Family Plot, who I interviewed, and Joe Musso, who did Torn Curtain. So very, very keen. It's going to be published. And it's just, just a lovely thing to have on your coffee table, I think. Yeah, it sounds so you, great. So do you, have, do you have the images of some of those storyboards then in the book? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. um, awesome. It's in collaboration with the Alfred Hitchcock estate because most of the storyboards have been donated along with his files to uh, the Margaret Herrick Library, who were instrumental in helping me with my books on the making of the Birds and Marnie. So, yes, it's been it's a long a devoted project and long association with the estate. All right. Hey, the sto- storyboards are obviously how the movie scenes unfold, and they start off with the storyboards, really. So tell us about what you've discovered in the storyboards for Notorious, since that's the movie we're talking about here. Well, one of my favorite scenes in Notorious is when Alicia Ingrid Bergman goes to dinner for the first time at Claude Rains's house. And if you remember the fa- famous shot um, where the door opens and the mother, uh, Madame Sebastian, comes down the stairs and straight to the camera and looks straight in the camera and she's, you know, scary as hell, isn't she? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Frightens the life out of anyone who'd come for dinner. And Hitchcock's, Hitchcock used use the analogy very appropriately of Ingrid being thrown into the lion's den um this this woman and she's got to use all her wits about her and her father's connection to watch and observe this group of nazis who are hiding in rio and it's all been carefully storyboarded out which is in the book because i i love that sequence so much because of hitchcock saying ingrid's being thrown into the lions but it has so many classic yeah so many classic hitchcock camera moves You've got the forward tracking shot, which he loved. It was a point of view shot where the um, camera assumes the point of view of the audience of the characters. It moves forward, most famously in the Bates house when Vera Miles, Lila Crane goes to explore the Bates house. Um, And so you've got that point of view identification when Alicia, for example, spots the first thing about the uranium ore. And so we're very much seeing the characters, seeing the mother, seeing the whole mise-en-scene through Alicia's eyes. And that was all carefully storyboarded. Yeah, yeah. that's that's cool. awesome because that scene, like you said, it's like, whoa. That just yeah. smacks you in the face when, when she walks in and sees the mother. Woo, that's yep. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we have to talk about the most famous shot in Notorious, which is that crane shot. Yeah, yeah. If you remember, at the beginning of the party, Hitchcock um, did a very big wide-angle shot of the party, and in the crane shot goes slowly down, 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 down. 
into the hand of Ingrid Bergman, who's fumbling with the key to the wine cellar, which is just stolen from uh, Claude Rains's character. And so the whole point of view was this big party going on, but Hitchcock was very keen to show the minutia, which he did, the agitated state of Alicia, um, yeah. who's very concerned about passing that key on to Devlin. And Hitchcock loved that shot so much, he replicated it years later in uh, Marnie. If you remember at Marnie, the beginning of the party sequence, mm-hmm. uh, Lil has invited Strutt to the party who is Marnie's former employer who she robbed. And again, we start with a very high angle shot, goes down, down, down to the front door, and then in comes Strut, and the audience will gasp, you know. So it's it's just really suspenseful use of the camera. Yeah, and we see that well, a little bit in North by Northwest as well, mm-hmm. right? From the balcony scene, you see them zooming in on the matchbook that might be discovered. And so it's the same kind of concept. That creation of tension is terrific, and Hitchcock was just the master at that. Well, yeah. and it's interesting because it's that long, continuous shot. Yeah. And now you see, you know, it's it's almost like the cinematographers or directors are trying to see who can one-up themselves with the longest, what appears to be continuous shot that gets edited down. Now, this was, if I understand right, that this was actually four different shot sequences that got edited together. Is Do you know, do I have that right? I'll have to check that. I always assumed it was one continuous crane shot. And when you look at it in in Notorious, I I don't recognize any cuts. I know, and Ingrid talks about it in the um, Lifetime Achievement Award, and she described, you know, Hitchcock sweeping down with it with with the camera from a big um, big wide angle to the close up. Yeah. Okay, I thought I read somewhere that it was four shots, but I, I might that may yeah. have been wrong. So. Uh, that was a terrific. Because if it was four shots, it was really good editing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I always wondered that whole that whole concept of getting him the key there. But then she meets him downstairs by the wine cellar. She could have just handed him the key there. But (laughs) 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 that's just she wanted it out of her hands. (laughs) Yeah, but it it does create that beautiful scene there. But I, I really love the party sequence in general. I mean, any any student of film or anyone who loves spy movies or just suspense in general should really look at the party sequence especially running out of champagne because yes. it's a classic it's a classic example of cross-cutting for suspense mm-hmm. so we know that devlin and alicia are down in the wine wine cellar looking at the uranium bottles and at the top, they're running out of champagne. And we see uh, uh, the sommelier, the, the, uh, the character. Joseph. Keep, keep, yeah, Joseph. yeah, that's right. Keep looking back at the uh, uh, champagne being guzzled. And it's just classic Hitchcock. Well, especially classic. since Devlin just made the comment, let's hope he doesn't run out. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden, it's like there's less and less bottles yeah. in the yeah. thing and more and more champagne's getting served. Yeah. That was great. That was a great, great uh, tense moment where you're watching this whole thing unfold. That was terrific. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, Tony, is you've written a few books on Hitchcock. I think it's you've got the two, uh, the Marnie and the Birds, and then you've got a master class on Hitch. Um, and people can get those at what? AlfredHitchcockBooks.com, is that right? Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, Barnes & Noble, it's widely distributed. Okay. A- Amazon's probably a good place to get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. And your new book is coming out in September, you said. Yeah, yes, September pre-ordered. the 6th. Cool. You can pre-order it, yeah. That's great. 
All right. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us today. This was great fun, and your knowledge of Hitchcock is tremendous. We'll look for your upcoming book, Alfred Hitchcock, The Storyboards, and we'll have you back on the show to talk about the Hitchcock spy movies as a whole. We would love to do that with you. Well, we'll talk about the whole group of them together and how they connect. How's well, that? I'd love to because um, my favorite genre are the spy movies. I love the 39 Steps. I've got yes. a chapter on the 39 Steps in the book, and I've got a chapter on North by Northwest. So it'd be a pleasure to come back. Thank you. And we have podcasts already on those too. So if we can do something where we kind of like group them all together and talk about the group, that'd be awesome. Yeah, from Hitch's point of view, that's going to be a fun one. All right. Thanks, Tony. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. If you like our show, please share our show details through your own social media to your friend. Tell them to subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, through their favorite podcast app. That helps us a lot. If you do, let us know. We'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming episode. Thanks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.